Welcome back to A Better Night's Sleep, the podcast about sleep, sleep disorders, and evidence-based treatment from military health sleep experts. I'm Dr. Julie Kitt with the Defense Health Agency. And I'm Dr. Jonathan Owen, sleep medicine physician. Welcome back, John. Today, we've asked you here to talk about sleep paralysis. This is one of those conditions I know very little about, so I'm hoping you can enlighten us. It's great to be back. And uh, sleep paralysis is a very unusual condition in which the person generally wakes from sleep. Brain is now awake, but they have ongoing paralysis. So it can be quite terrifying for people. It sounds terrible. Definitely gets people's attention and uh, can last for seconds to even minutes. Scary and unusual, unusual sensation for the person. Generally occurs or does occur when there is a person awakes from sleep out of a stage of sleep called REM or rapid eye movement. And in REM is active dream state. And in REM, we also, we generally paralyze ourselves. So if I'm dreaming and walking around, hopefully I'm not getting up and walking around. So the paralysis during REM sleep is normal. Yes, exactly. So uh, people's, people are paralyzed in REM, except for their eyes and their heart, obviously, and uh, the muscle um, between their lungs, their chest and their lungs, and their abdomen called the diaphragm. So still able to breathe, still pumping blood, but they do then have loss of muscle tone. So sleep paralysis is waking up where the brain is then wake, but you have this residual or ongoing paralysis. Sometimes people will see visions or see figures floating, kind of, again, residual, if you will, of dreams. And sometimes, often, people will feel like something's sitting on their chest or they're suffocating and they can't breathe. And that can occur, I think, in, in large part because they're anxious, they're trying to take a deep breath, and they can't, so their chest muscles are paralyzed. So they're able to use their diaphragm, but not their chest muscles when they're anxious and, and trying to take a deep breath. So they can breathe, just not as deeply as they'd like, and that must be so scary. I imagine this is one of those things that there's been lots of stories about and explanations about throughout time. Yeah, people have been obviously experiencing it for really centuries. Shakespeare wrote about it. Many cultures comment on it. Some people viewed it as spiritual. I mean, not to be too personal, but I had it once. Oh, really? I remember being a kid. I was maybe 10 years old. I think our neighbors probably were going away on vacation, and they got up real early and made a bunch of noise. And the reason that's relevant is because we tend to have longer stages of sleep, longer episodes of REM sleep in the early morning. So they made a bunch of noise. Uh, it was summer. I think I had my windows open. Uh, woke me up, but um, I was then paralyzed, stuck. And I, I really was confused. I was like, huh, couldn't make sense out of it. And I remember being a kid and telling my dad, my dad kind of scratched his head, didn't know exactly, and said what to do. He said, well, has that ever happened before? And I was like, no. And he said, well, let me know if it happens again. Oh. Which, fortunately, it didn't, at least. But uh, just was, you know, stumped. Like, gee, I'm 10 years old. Am I supposed to have a stroke? What's going on? This seems a little unusual. 
So who is most likely to experience sleep paralysis? Is it generally healthy people, unhealthy? Yeah, it can be both. So uh, in general, it's seen more often with people with fragmented sleep. So the people that are then having interruptions in their REM sleep, their rapid eye movement sleep, like I did when I was, say, 10, you know, that those are the people that are that are prone to have it. And our population obviously can be seen with uh, individuals in the military with anxiety or PTSD or interrupted sleep or different sleep schedules, that kind of thing, and then they can be more prone. So if you'd asked me, say, when I was in med school, uh, if I ever had sleep paralysis, I think I probably would have said no because it just happened once and I kind of forgot about it. But, you know, then when I started studying sleep, I remembered, oh, yeah, I did have it once. Oh, I, that sounds familiar. So, you know, I'm not sure about surveys, how accurate they are when, you know, something happens once or twice in a lifetime if it was remote and, you know, years ago. So, but uh, the people that are having fragmented sleep are obviously more prone. Are there other sleep conditions or health conditions that commonly co-occur with sleep paralysis? Yeah, so um, anxiety disorders, sleep disruptions, bipolar disorder, some mood disorders, insomnia. Uh, there, I think we've talked about it earlier, but there is a relatively rare condition. We can talk about it in a little bit again, narcolepsy. Um, that many people with narcolepsy will have uh, sleep paralysis. So uh, again, people with narcolepsy don't have the ability to sustain wake, and they can quickly go into REM sleep. So it's not shocking then that therefore they're more they are more prone to have periods of sleep paralysis. So yeah, many can many conditions in my practice. I'm generally seeing people with insomnia some form of PTSD anxiety. So that is the condition that's fragmenting their sleep, waking up out of their wake, waking up out of REM and then having sleep paralysis. Obviously it can be a bit of a vicious cycle where if someone's anxious about having sleep paralysis, then they're more anxious about sleep, more anxious about REM, more anxious about dreams, more prone to wake up and then have residual sleep we have ongoing sleep paralysis. That makes a lot of sense. So just to double down on this point, the paralysis that commonly happens during REM sleep is normal. It becomes sleep paralysis a disorder when you still experience it during waking. You actually want to be paralyzed in REM. It's obviously you don't want to be up if you're dreaming and walking around. You don't want to be up and walking around. So it's a good thing in my, you know, I think it's, it's good that people are paralyzed in REM. There are a few people, they're generally, it's uncommon, but a few generally older individuals that are have what's called REM behavior disorder where they lose their ability to be paralyzed in REM. And that then is actually dangerous where they're striking their bed partner, moving around, et cetera. If they're dreaming of fishing, they'll be swinging their arms around, et cetera. You want to be able to paralyze yourself in REM. So when I see people with sleep paralysis, I actually say, it's a good thing you're paralyzing yourself in REM. The problem is that you're waking up in REM with ongoing paralysis. So part of what you do to help with sleep paralysis is help your patients understand their environment and how to get a better night's sleep? Yes, in general it is. Exactly. So the, the focus then at that point is to try to remove the interruptions or the fragmentations of sleep so that they're actually able to sleep through the REM period without then the arousal and then without the waking up with the residual paralysis exactly. 
Aside from helping your patients waking up before they should, is there any other treatment? The treatment in general is going to be management, trying to find and uh, understand the things that are fragmenting sleep and addressing those. So as I said, many in many cases with the military population, it's going to be some form of insomnia, anxiety, PTSD, possibly shift work, possibly a newborn at home. So trying to recognize those things and then consolidate the sleep. There generally aren't medications that are specifically used. Obviously, if a person has very significant anxiety or very significant depression or even moderate levels of depression, then consider treating that, and then that may assist with improving sleep paralysis. Most of the time, it's education and reassurance, just telling people, hey, um, you want to be paralyzed in REM. Hey, here's what's going on hey, if you have this, you can move your eyes, you can take breaths using your diaphragm. This is a phenomenon coming out of REM sleep. And as your sleep improves, this will decrease and and become less common. So for many people, that can in and of itself be helpful. Those would be some of the treatments, trying to figure out what is fragmenting sleep. We've talked earlier about obstructive sleep apnea. You know, if that's fragmenting sleep, then if the person's, for example, snoring and saying they're choking and their bed partner says they're not stopping breathing, then evaluating that, considering that as possible condition that could lead to sleep paralysis, so that may be useful. So much of this just seems to be focusing on expectation management, especially since it is really scary. But understanding this is a normal thing, it's part of a regular process, and there are ways to manage it is really important. Right, exactly. So education, reassurance are are kind of cornerstones, exactly. Can your partner, your spouse help with the sleep paralysis, like waking you up if it looks like you're having one of these episodes? I generally don't go down that road because I think it's important for the bed partner to be able to sleep well. And I have had people say, oh, if I start to like moan or groan, can you please touch me in my hand or maybe that'll bring me out of it. And I just, in my, my experience, that puts a lot of pressure on the bed partner to then be like vigilant for the whole night. So I get it if if the bed partner is already up and dressing or something like that, of course, but you know what? Two o'clock in the morning, that's a, that's a tough road to hoe to ask uh, the bed partner to, if they're sleeping, to be vigilant. If there's moaning, to you know, solely touch the hand of the, of the identified patient or the person that's making that request. You mentioned narcolepsy before. How do we know when sleep paralysis is a sign of narcolepsy? So if the person is having uh, sleep paralysis and significant and excessive daytime sleepiness, Despite adequate sleep time, then in my opinion, that is serious, and they should review that with a sleep physician. So if the person is having fragmented sleep, but overall able to maintain wake during the day, not excessively tired, then can review this, obviously listen to this podcast, etc., maybe discuss it with a sleep physician or the PCM. But if they're having excessive daytime sleepiness despite adequate sleep time, and then sleep paralysis or other things such as uh, muscle weakness with strong emotion. I think we talked about narcolepsy earlier. Then that is is serious. So narcolepsy can be seen. Obviously, it has excessive daytime sleepiness, but there can be sleep paralysis, cataplexy, and dream onset or 
dreams during just going to sleep and when waking up in the morning, hypnagogic, hypnopompic hallucinations. So that's that's a condition where or situation where I'd say sleep paralysis deserves follow up with a sleep physician. John, thanks so much for helping us understand this condition. I believe if people have understanding, kind of understand the background, the the physiology of it, then it can be reassuring and less frightening. Thanks as always, John. Great. Thank you so much. What would you like to know about sleep? Please get in touch with us. Our email address is in the show notes, or you can get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Military Health. A Better Night's Sleep is produced by the Defense Health Agency.